welcome back to the Green and Gold Rugby Show for another week. We're the show that's getting you over the gain line on the hottest topics of Australian rugby. And whether you're listening to us on uh, Eon Sports Radio there or directly from our podcast feed, we're thrilled to have you. I'm uh, Reg Roberts, Rugby Reg, as those know me. I'm your host tonight, as per usual, and also as per usual, joining us, uh, the one and only Matt Morale. How are you, Matt? Good, mate. And Hugh Cavill. Hugo, how are you, mate? I'm good. I'm good. That's good. Look, um... Normal show tonight, uh, five burning questions we'll get to in a second. But, lads, you're our two Waratah experts. So my question at the top today, lads, is inspired by one of your favourite sons, Michael Hooper. So Hooper was interviewed today about the Tar Tour to South Africa, in which uh, the team returned for the first time in the history of Super Rugby, I think, with zero competition points. So not even a bonus point. So Hooper has asked about the tour and overlooked all that and suggested it was a successful tour on the training paddock which I think is a remarkable statement. So my question yeah. is to you. KPI, um, and Hugh, I'll start with you, mate. Hugh, what, how else was this a successful tour for the Tars? The training pack paddock was obviously excellent. What else was good for the Tars? Well, look, I, I think they, I think it was a success because they just had so much time to talk about strategy. Because when you stood under the goalposts that many times, <laughs> uh, you, you've really got time to really get to know each other and, and to talk about the game. And, and uh and yes, so I, look, I think those those long discussions underneath they didn't pay dividends in South Africa, but I bet you, I tell you what, all that time spent discussing uh, discussing the game and how to play, I think that'll that'll pay big dividends this week. Excellent strategy. Great dividends. What about you, Matt? What's your thoughts? Um, I can well, I'll tell you the KPIs it paid off for. One was my uninterrupted sleep. Um, <laughs> didn't trouble me at all. Snoozed right through all of that one. And as a follow-up KPI, that actually didn't trouble my um, IQ three um, playback either. So that hasn't got to work out. So that'll, you know, it saved me, you know, hours um, there for my IQ three in its longevity. Because, you know, waking up each morning after a good night's sleep where you haven't bothered getting up, you know, you could check the score <laughs> and see that the, the Waratahs have been walloped once again. And there's absolutely <laughs> no point in watching it. And so you don't. So it, it works perfectly. Nice work, mate. That's good to see those positives. A success on the training paddock in, and in your uh, workbench as well, which is good to hear. Yeah. Hey, uh, speak, speak about Hooper. I don't know if you guys, this sort of snuck on, on me by surprise, but he cracks 100 rugby caps, super rugby caps this weekend. Jeez. That's incredible. So he'll become officially the youngest player to 100 super rugby caps. Um, yeah. How many tests this has he played? He's got to have played bordering on 50 tests. At least, I reckon, at least. Um but have you seen this list of youngest Super Rugby Centurions? No, who's on it? All right, good stuff. We've got to start with a little competition then. I want to know. So I'll give you, I'll give you a clue though. So there is a top ten. Hooper is number one. He will be at twenty-five years, one hundred and forty days. There are eight Aussies on this top ten list. Oh, of ah. the f- youngest players to, hit, to reach a hundred Super Rugby caps. So Hooper being one. Uh, oh. And uh, being told 65 Wallaby caps for Hooper, but I want to know the other 10. So you know, let's go around. Uh, Hugh, we'll alternate. Who else is on that top 100? Or top the youngest 10, to get to 100. I'll try Phil War. Nah, buzzer off. Ah. You, Hugh. Uh, yeah, sorry, Matt. Uh, will Genia. Genia comes in at one, two, three, four, five, six. Well done. Okay. Well, Oh, is it is it shot. obvious? I, need to, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, Beale. if you think about it, Kurt yeah, Curtly's number, number two. So he's currently yeah. the youngest. 
and uh, Hooper will surpass them by 168 days. Yeah, think along those Beal lines. Yeah, so the Amigos, right? So, yep. so are we talking about the other Amigos? So, um, James O'Connor? Well, I don't think he actually has cracked the 100 yet. Mate, oh, yeah, so. he wouldn't have. Quite, no, quite would have to be yeah, there. Quade's there. Yep, that's right. Um, you got not one of the Amigos, but there's a couple of guys, or at least one other, that played in that great Australian schoolboys team of that era. Another back from the Tars. I was going to say, was Lockie Turner on there? No, I don't think he cracked 100 either, mate. He probably yeah. could have in his career, but he, but he missed more. Because he started he quite young. Adam Ashley yeah. Cooper must have 500 Super Rugby caps. When, when did he get to his 100th? Yeah, I, I don't have those details, Rob mate. Rob Horn would be the there. He's not yeah, on Rob the Horn's no, actually, um, Ashley Cooper's not on the youngest list, at least. Oh, wow. Okay. He was a bit of a late so bloomer, though, you remember? Yeah, yeah, I think you're right, yeah. Rob Horn comes in at number four there. So there is uh, one, two, three more Aussies. One's pretty obvious. I mean, I guess you say Phil Wall in the next breath. You should probably think about this guy. George yeah, George, George Smith. Smith. Yeah, he said it at 19, so, right? So. Yeah, yeah. So he, he actually, you know, had to wait till his 20, 28th year to crack 100. Shows you, no. you know, that's when they're only playing, I guess, 12 games a year. Now it's 18 a year. What about um, in, that, in that vein then? Where, where did Gitto come in? Yeah, Gitto's not in the top 10, mate. Jeez. Again. Oh. Like, but yes. Yeah. So, so the other two Aussies are current players. Youngest. One, one Yeah, one for the Reds. Which I, Slipper. Nope, Slip's not there. Which surprises me. Slipper, he might not have cracked. Has he cracked 100 yet? I'd have to double check on that. That surprises me. He might not quite Who is it, Reg? Reg, put us out of our misery. We'll yeah. be here all night. Rob Simmons oh. is number five. One, two, three, four, five. The silent assassin. Yeah, Sayah is number seven. <laughs> Sayah, wow. Wow. And then three All Blacks. I might have miscounted here. Three All Blacks, uh, Owen Franks, Ryan Crotty, and John Afoa. Well, just Ryan Crotty. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. The boys of the report card will be loving that. Green and gold rugby's only uh, favourite son, yeah. So. <laughs> ah, well, that's a yeah, good one. So, so, but uh, yeah, we've got eight out of the top. Was it seven or seven or eight out of the top ten? We've, we've got the top seven. Wow. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, eight, nine, ten, and, and George Smith just just slips out. Oh no, John, George Smith and John Ofo are exactly equal tenth. So. There you go. Bit of quiz to start the day. Get the brain juices going. But what does that tell you? I mean, there's some interesting, you know, things that you take out. I mean, yeah, just I guess just lack of <laughs> lack of talent. Alternatives, yeah. I think yeah, we but... in there. I mean, it's interesting that Beal, Cooper, Horn all played as that sort of fantastic Australian schoolboys generation. I guess oh. Guinea must must have been pretty close to that as well. Um, but you know, Hooper's the standout, and I think Slipper will be close to it. Slipper, I think, must be in his nineties, so he won't. He won't push Hooper, I don't think, but he might get very close to that top five. So that's a, that's incredible. We could almost have the top eight um, youngest, which is amazing. Oh, that, that is freaky stuff. All right. Shall we get on to our burning questions, lads? Oh, yeah. Um, so the five burning questions uh, are, first and foremost, so Aussie teams aren't going well. The question of our fitness comes into play. Are our Australian teams fit enough? And we've got some stats we want to talk about there. Question two. Uh, is Daryl Gibson's coaching gig safe? And I guess, you know, should Nathan Gray even as defence coach be questioned? Question three, uh, we're not going to get too into this. We've talked about it a lot, but the, the new structure of Super Rugby, we still don't know what it is. There's been rumours today that teams up, that an Aussie team is being cut. But what's, what should be the determining factor on, on which Aussie team does get cut? 
Question four, the Poms have done it. They've uh, equaled the world record, at least tier one, with 18 wins when they smashed Scotland on the weekend. I want to ask a question. Who would win between the Poms and the All Blacks, uh, perhaps if they were playing in those that June window? And then finally, question five, uh, Rugby World Cup uh, is... Yeah, the bidding process for 223 is happening. Is it going to lose its luster as a big event? Olympic Games is losing its uh, appeal as a host city, the Commonwealth Games definitely as well. So will the Rugby World Cup head the same way? But let's start off with uh, the first question, the Australian teams. Are they fit enough, Matt? I'm, I'm going to throw to you. You've done a bit of uh, research or at least crowdsourced some research on this one. What's, what's your thoughts? <laughs> um, yeah, I love that little uh, exchange we had in the sort of the, um, the DMs on Twitter when we were preparing for the show and I was kind of angling to see if someone else might actually do the work for me. <laughs> and then you came back and said, uh, yeah, that'd be great if you did that, Matt. I thought it was just that. <laughs> so what was my first thought? Go to Twitter and ask. <laughs> um, no, look, I just, it was watching the Reds um, in that spectacular capitulation against the Crusaders um, on Friday night, which was just heartrending. I mean, like uh, I just, I, I put a tweet out there just saying that if, if I had been Nick Styles, I would be crying by now because I think they went was it 17 points up against the Crusaders had like yeah, I think, yeah. three of the main players kind of off the field um, in the Crusaders like Israel Dag was off in the first few minutes um, yeah so they you know they and then they even managed to have the Crusaders down a yellow card in the deep yep. second half and still managed to blow um, that and lose whatever it was, 22-20 or something, I think it was. 20, yeah, 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 they had So anyway, in, in watching that, though, what was quite obvious, the Reds were just out on their feet in that second half and, and definitely in the in the last quarter. Um, and it just seemed to me to be a... Re- I just wondered if that was a re- you know recurrent theme through the other teams. And then I thought, well, what can you do to kind of figure out whether that's the case or not? And um, I just thought, look, maybe looking at the number of um, points that we've shipped um, in the second half versus how much we've been scoring would give us an indication. Now, obviously, there's going to be a few things askewed, like the Rebels getting absolutely uh, walloped um, by uh, Kiwi teams. But look, I just think it's interesting to look at um, anyway. So if, if you have a look through the... Um, the scores, I, 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 the, and this this is a tweet that came from Russ Petty. It used to be called Horrible Punt on um, Twitter. Um, he's a man who's right into his stats and um, and actually applying them to find little angles for his betting. I think. Um, but look, there's some really interesting ones. If I just look at the second half for and against, so the Brumbies have um, 32 four and 29 against in the second half. Um, the Rebels have got just three points for and 71 points against um, in their second And that's half. just two games too. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, and that's against 21 points they score in the first half. For, so for them, it's not just the defence that they're suffering on. They're, like, they're obviously not able to attack mm. in the second half either. Um, the Waratahs, it's 29 and 28 um, in the second half, which is interesting. 29, 4, 28 against. The Force is 24, 4, 32 against. Um, which kind of probably shows, talks about their heartbreak as the usual sort of force way that it goes. Um, but the one that actually I thought made most sense to me when I saw it was that it was the Reds, um, who in the first half have 45 points for and 35 against, but in the second half have just 22 points for and 39 against, um, which just, you know, tips that balance. And actually, um, even, more, even starker than that was um, uh, then Brett McKay, um, came in and a good old friend of the podcast and he um, actually had the tries scored by time period 
And then what you can see in the reds is that in terms of when they concede their tries, they concede two in the first quarter, two in the second quarter, zero in the third quarter, and then four in the final quarter um, mm. when they're quite off, obviously knackered. So look, the point that this kind of says to me is like, I think it's probably not equal across all the teams. It looks like maybe the Brumbies and the Tars are still managing you know, to hold their form. The Tars are actually having a shocking second quarter in matches for some reason. But in both the Red, Reds and the Rebels, with the Rebels, it looks to me like the injury that occurs at about halftime is the Hartilich, uh, which seems to snap. Mm. Um, but the Reds, they just look, they just look plain tuckered. Um, and I think at, actually out of all the teams, um, when they're conceding their points and uh, not scoring their points versus in the first half, it seems to show up, which... In this day and age, I'm pretty, I'm pretty surprised by. Like, I think it was pretty obvious in Super Rugby. If you want to be able to compete, you need to have, you know, you need to have those fitness levels. I think the Tars proved that in 2014. That was key to their success, and um, it was key to whenever the Wallabies were successful over the last couple of years. So, I'm, I'm pretty gobsmacked that this isn't something that you know is kind of baked into Super Rugby plans by now. Yeah, it's interesting. I know that we just looking at that Reds again. That. The last half hour versus the force, we couldn't get all across the line, and obviously the whole entire second half versus the Crusaders, we couldn't get across the line. Mm. And, and it's interesting because they have a bit of depth, you know. You know, they've signed a few, and they've got some good players coming off the bench. Andrew Reddy's coming off the bench, and up until you know, Hendrick Chewy started this week, but he's off the bench the last couple of weeks. Um, Isaac Rodder did well off the bench. Kane Douglas came off the bench this week, so they've got good depth coming off the bench. So it, it's more a squad thing, and you know. You would think they seem to put in the hard work in the off season, but we just don't know how it how it fares uh, once come game time. And indicatively, it looks like it, it's not faring well. Mm. Hugh, from your perspective, do you? I mean, do you get the same read of this? Is it? Do you think it's a fitness thing, or is it just a, a you know a rugby knowledge? That was a, a, clearly another thing that let the Reds down, and in, in you know the, the rugby intelligence in that game. Yeah, it, it, you're right, Reg. It's, it's funny to see how often when teams try and shut up shop like that. In the last 10 minutes, how often it does backfire, you know, and, and and it's 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 one thing to say it in the comfort of a podcast, and another thing to say it when you're out there in the 70th minute. But you've really got to keep pressing. You've got to keep trying to um tr- trying to score again and again and again. And 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 as soon as you start taking those backward steps and start trying to wind down the clock, that's where the trouble starts. I think fitness, it's one of those things that we say, or you know, well we're not fit enough, and it's very you know, it's a bit of a catch cry that, that we always say, and it's hard to tell, to be honest, whether it, whether it's just fitness and whether it's whether it's more than that, whether it's you know, tactics, whether it's um, the quality of the players off the bench, whether I, I don't know, it's an attitude thing as well. I mean, it's all it's all tied into so many things, and and I don't know the the, the Waratahs. I think there was no coincidence that their best seasons they had when Michael Checker was made a real point of getting them fit, and whether that you know, was doing, sand, you know, Sandhill runs or runs up a Warbur Street in Mossman or runs up Centennial Park. It was very public and sort of, there was an element of PR to it, I thought. But it it, it, it certainly um, it certainly paid dividends for them. And, and you'd struggle to say that, that uh, a, you, you, a team could never be fitter. It's something that they should always be working on. But uh, from the outside, it, it's, it's hard to tell. And I know those stats were, were good, Matt, but they certainly... It wasn't a damning indictment. There's certainly some elements to work on, but it, I don't know. 
I, I, I don't know the answer, Rich. I suppose it's, it's... Hugh, do you reckon a lot of that TAR stuff, for me, yeah, absolutely, a fitness. And I guess, you know, when you're feeling fit and strong, there's a level of confidence there. But it's really that mental toughness, which I think Checker really focused on, isn't he? That, you know, yeah. that, that could you chairs, it was almost a, you know, if you guys can do this. I remember what, there's some saying that, that he sort of tied to that 2014 campaign. Uh, and I, I can't recall it, but I, we referred to it in those podcasts around the time. But it was, you know, if you can achieve this, you can achieve anything. You know, put the fear behind you. Um, and it was about overcoming, you know, any mental uh, concerns to, to, to finish the job. And, and that sort of showed up. To me, it just seems that like mental toughness. And, and again, I refer to that Reds game. Watching that unfold, it was just, uh, it was so frustrating as a Reds fan. Um, to, to see those mistakes being made. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. Also, if anyone, if you've ever read um, Clive Woodward's sort of autobiography um, back in the day when you know he actually did had done something in rugby with coaching, but you know his big thing was that whole teacup thing. I mean, we've talked about it before um, on the podcast, you know, which is which was his acronym for you know thinking correctly under pressure. Um, yep. And there's just been so much work done, which just shows that you know basically when you're out on your feet, you know your ability to think clearly just disappears. Um, and you, and you just start doing some you know you start doing some dumb stuff and I think you could just see that written all over the Reds in that last quarter in that second half um, was that they knew they were out on their feet um, and you could just you know any sort of structure any sort of plan all that sort of stuff just sort of disappears and that's probably why you shouldn't be surprised when you see teams you know in inverted commas try and defend for the last twenty minutes it's because they they can't do anything else they're shot both physically and then because of that mentally. And so they start making those dumb things and errors come in and all the rest of it. So it's not just a case of just being fit. It's, you know, if if, you're, if your body's under that much stress, you just can't think your way out of a brown paper bag. And that's what it looked like for me for the Reds on, on a Friday night. Oh, yeah. But, but that said, Nick Phipps is, you know, I think most most Australian people in Australian rugby would, would say that Nick Phillips is probably the fittest guy in Australian rugby. You know, he's got the beat test records. He's He is Mr. Fitness. And yet, God, I watched him play the Sharks and that was, uh, fitness didn't save him there. Uh, it was uh, a pretty, pretty rough sort of display. So, yeah, it doesn't save you all at all times. Yeah. It's interesting. You talk about the, you know, we talk about the mental toughness and those, the, the teacup concept. You know, just compare two moments from that, that Brumbies versus Force games and the Reds game again. Brumbies versus Force, I don't know, when was it? 20 to go, 10 to go. Um, and Ross Hallett Petty gets the yellow card for doing a no arms tackle, late tackle. I think it was on Joe Powell. Mm. Um, from there, the Brumbies lift. You know, the, it's a close match. I think the Force might even be in the lead there. The Brumbies lift. They score two late tries and go away with it. That was, you know, that was great fortitude. You, you, you can question Larkham's um, coaching abilities from tactics and, and how the team are playing sometimes, but he's clearly got that team, um, you know, believing in themselves, which is a great achievement. The Reds, same situation, reversed. The Crusaders give, you know, get yellow carded. Tafua, the reserve, um, goes off. Um, supposedly the Reds all week are talking about 80-minute gains, but it, it just changes the game for the Reds. They go in their shell. They they try to shut up shop from nine minutes out from full time against the Crusaders. And meanwhile, the Crusaders just lift a gear, and it was just, um, you know, it comes back to that mental side of things, and it was it was lacking from the Reds. Mm. All right, look, uh, let's, it's something to watch and keep an eye on. And, and you know, that real cr- critical second, uh, third and fourth quarter in the games and watch those. Uh, let, let's delve a little bit more into the Waratah game, Hugh, and you're going to lead us off here. So, you know, we talked about that South African tour. It's a tough tour, um, but no points whatsoever. And, and a couple of fairly comprehensive uh, beatings there. 
you read the forum and there are some concerns being raised about Daryl Gibson as coach um, and some as Nathan Gray as defence coach even for, for the Wallabies. Should they be uh, feeling the pressure now, Hugh, or, or do you reckon they're safe for the season? Oh, look, they're safe. Look, I'd suggest they're safe for the season. Um, beyond that, I'm not sure. Look, I think they've, they, the Waratahs have played the two, probably the two best South African teams. I think at this stage in the competition, it's, it's fair, fair to say, or two very good South African teams. Um, and without their first choice 5-8, and with also Will Skelton injured and Nick Phipps injured for the first game, they, yeah, they, they've got plenty of excuses, um, a laundry list of excuses. But watching that game against the Sharks, they were outclassed. They were outclassed from, from, from the first five minutes, and, and you could just... The writing was on the wall. They were, they were being out-muscled. They were being um, monstered in the tackles. They were just going side to side and backwards with the ball. They were missing tackles in defence. It was a pretty poor performance. It was a very poor performance, in fact. And um, I think that the pressure will be on Daryl Gibson to deliver the next couple of weeks. And it's not getting easy with the Brumbies this week. No. Um, and I'm not sure who they've got the week after that. But... Um, I'll have a look now. But the Rebels. It, the Rebels. It's not a bad well, one to hold oh, on for. Well, thank the, he'll be, yeah, well, thank the Lord for that. Because, um, yeah, that, that um, the, the Rebels, and uh, then after that, they've got the Crusaders. So it doesn't get it doesn't get that much easier. Hurricanes the week after that, and then um, they've got a bye. So, look, they could be sitting in round eight with a bye with, with potentially at, at, two, at, at two wins, five losses, or three wins, four losses, and that's... That's not a good place to be. That said, it's it's um it's it's very early in the season, and and one thing I often remind people is the the year the Tars won the premiership, um they were four and four after yeah. eight games. So yeah, it's 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 very easy to, to go early off this early in the season, and and um and so I think I wouldn't be getting too worried, but but um, geez, it, it wasn't good signs, and Daryl Gibson, I'm, I think his contract's up at the end of the year, and with you know, Laurie Fisher's Laurie Fisher's just uh, walked away from Gloucester, and there's a few other candidates out there. He he looked to be making some positive strides at the end of last year, but um, he's really got to put uh, a, a good performance on the field in the next two weeks. Otherwise, I think the uh, the dogs will start barking. Matt, are you concerned as a fan? I mean, do you think you see enough in the team uh, to to give you some hope and just write off a, a tough trip to South Africa? Look, man, I'm not concerned at all because basically, as as far as I'm aware, we've we're one win from one. Uh, you know, <laughs> I went and saw us, you know, I saw us beat the force, um, you know, and, and and that's all I need to remember, or that's all I know. You know, were there two other games? Who could tell? Um, look, yeah, I don't know. That, I I think that was a, it's a tough. That that was a tough uh, tour for them. Um, I think having Foley out is a big, big. Uh, it would be a big problem for the Tars and the way they play and the way the combinations work and you know who they don't have um, to, to sort of fill that place. I think Tars are still in a bit of a rebuilding phase. I would think that um, you know Gibson's still probably working a bit of a pass from that one. Um, so. Look, yeah, I mean, you know, it's not great, is it, when your, your best KPIs are, you know, how, how well you did on the training paddock. Um, and, and that's pretty much where they are at the moment. But, um, yeah, I mean, it definitely says, oh, look, it probably talks more about where the Australian conference is. But um, I think at the moment it's sort of saying, you know, the Brumbies are, are looking by far the most serious contenders for anything. Um, having said that, they haven't really done a tough tour yet. So we'll wait and see what happens then. How many yeah. first-choice Wallabies are in that Waratahs team, though? I mean, I can't really... I suppose it's less than you think, actually, now I look at it, but 
They've got an all-star front row. Um, mm. Even though I don't, don't think... To, is Tolo Lato his capped, isn't he? Yeah, one of yeah, them. Um, yeah. yeah, a few. Yeah. You know, yep. Horn, Naya, Avoro, Ryan, Phipps, Hooper. Um, you know, they've, they've, that's Dean Mum as well. Um, so I suppose it's not a Wallaby, a star-studded Wallaby lineup as as what we've seen in previous years, but there's still some very good players that have... You know, no one's... With the exception of R.A. Simone, no one really is running out for, you know, in no, playing debut no. matches. Um, so they've been around enough time for, to... Yeah, look whether they've been in whether they're good enough to win in South Africa. Obviously not, but um, yeah. Well, I think, no, I think, in, I think in old-fashioned terms, though, they're missing that spine of a team, aren't they? So, you know, yeah, Tolu Latu, um, I think he's got promise, but I think he's got a way to go at, at hooker. Then you usually kind of get an eight, don't you? And um, Holloway, who you know played half a good season so far and then was even injured, um, and then the other guys completely you know brand new, and then you get your ten was out. Um, and then Phipps not in good form, uh, and um, uh, what's his name? Uh, you know, yeah. So you know, there's just right de- kind of in that those core positions. You just it's just a little bit too much. There's just a little too green. I see what you mean. I mean, there's some impressive caps in there and there's some impressive talent, but it's just not quite enough. But then I don't know which. You know, there's no real Australian team that I look at where I go. They, you know, that isn't probably the Reds. It's probably got some other more. Solid, mm. solid caps and experience. You would hope in the in the in the down the spine, but um, obviously that's not helping. No, it's interesting, I, and I maintain it's similar for the Reds. The the you know, the names aren't standing up yet. The you know the Wallabies aren't standing up how they should. I mean, Falau scoring tries again. He was a little bit better on the weekend, but you know, uh, and again, Kepa was probably a little bit better on the weekend too. But he's been out of it. Tom Robinson. Not a senior Wallaby, but a Wallaby now, and there's expectations there. Same with the Reds. I guess this is Stephen Moore's best game. He only played in half a game, but you know, Simo, um, Quaid, still there's a lot of a uh, lot of really experienced players that aren't sort of lifting to the levels their, their Super Rugby team needs. Um, here's an interesting one, guys. We just talked about you, Matt. You talked about the Aussie Conference there, and maybe this might delve into the, the next question. But um, the um, I, I just did a. You know, you talk about them not performing Aussies. I, I did a bit of a, a, a rejuggle of the uh, ladder if it was just on points. You know how the Aussie teams qualified. Oh, yeah. The Brumbies are currently in 10th position. We would Australian team in the top eight uh, as it stands at the moment. It's Chiefs, Stormers, Crusaders, Hurricanes, Sharks, Jaguars, uh, Cheetahs, Lions. So there's your top eight. You know, the Brumbies are three points beyond that with the Reds and the Force not beyond that. So, you know, we talk about competition restructures, and again, we'll get to that. This automatic qualification, <laughs> I know it, it costs the Australian team, but, geez, it looks ridiculous on the page. It just uh, does not make any sense. Yeah, not good. Um, all right, we're going to go to the next question, but before we do, Matt... What have we got? Yeah, mate, look, I just wanted to shout out to um, a sponsor of the pod. And uh, for anybody who's in Sydney or New South Wales, April the 1st, and no, this is not an April Fool's joke, um, April the 1st, the Scots College um, Sevens Tournament is on. Um, you need to get along there. There, um, It was a, apparently it was a cracker of an event last year and is looking to be again this year. Um, last year's winners, um, King's College um, Auckland, um, are going to be there. Um, there's going to be the top Fijian rugby school side are going to be there as well. Then you've got all the usuals like um, uh, St Ignatius College at Riverview, Canberra Grammar, Brisbane State High School, um, New South Wales Waratahs Under-18 Development Squad, 
Um, there's also the girls who are going to be running alongside with Kambala and Skeggs. Um, and then apparently the Australian men's and women's teams are also going to be on there, there throughout the day. So you can get to your heroes, the women's team, and have a chat with them. Um, so look, uh, yeah, plenty to go on. Um, I am just looking down <laughs> the information here. I'm pretty sure it's just... I think it's free if you turn up. I'll double check that, and if it's not the case, um, but yeah, get along and check it out. It um, it should be a good a good afternoon, April the first at Scotts. Good stuff. Uh, great to get around to that grassroots rugby. Um, all right, our question three was: uh, What should determine which other teams get cut? And Hugh and I, I think you know, we're all a little bit tired of talking about this and structure and what's wrong and so on. But it, it's an interesting discussion. In light of the, some of the you know, news that coming out today on Tuesday is that uh, out of South Africa that an Australian team will get cut. Uh, I think Ian Payton from um, uh, Australia Journalist has come out and said that's, that's a bit of a furphy. South Africa are talking out of school. So we don't exactly know. We may not know for, for a little while. But the forum's going off at the moment. The Rebels guys and the, the Force guys are at each other's throats talking about performance. You know, who's lost the most games over the last couple of years and that should dictate... Yeah, so the question is, what's got to determine, if an Aussie team gets cut, what determines who gets cut? Hugh, it, it, it's more than, clearly more than just what's happening on the field, correct? Oh, yeah. Look, it is a lot more than what's happening on the field. And, and with these things, the bottom line does, you know, will probably be the be the key uh, indicator um, in the AU's decision-making. And, and I think that's dictated to, uh, in, in many cases, by the broadcasters and what they what they want to see and what they'll pay for. And um, you know whether the forces different time zone might help it or hinder it. I'm not. Mm. I'm not sure. Um, and the financial states of both the teams. Obviously, the rebels have got a private ownership model that make it. Uh, you know, as we've discussed last week, that that uh, there's some investment there and there's some payments that the AU might have to make if they they wrap it up. And I'm not sure what the agreement is with that uh, particular consortium. Uh, and, and whether their future is guaranteed or the AU do have the ability to just wrap them up. Um, so, look, on-field counts, certainly, because I, I think um, it, it will sway the thinking of, of what's, what uh, franchise in, is in better shape and, and their ability to produce local players is also got to be a factor. Um, but I think you'd be lying if you said the, that the uh, bottom line wouldn't be first and foremost. And the Brumbies aren't safe either. But I have to—you have to think that if you were framing a market as to the Australian team to be uh, tipped out of the competition, you'd have the Brumbies at uh, at pretty long odds. I'd, I'd suggest. Uh, Matt, what do you think? Should it be uh, cost to Australian rugby in terms of real cost, meaning you know that the Rebels might be safe, or should it be um, you know the least? The, the smallest growth market, which, I don't know, could well be Melbourne there. Which way should it be looking? Yeah, I think you've just got to get into... Haven't you got to get into the raw numbers then? Um, yeah. And so that would be interesting. I don't know if anyone's got a good take on that. Um, I don't think publicly there's a lot of that that's available, really. Uh, no. I just remember, I mean, I, it popped up again how much the AAU had to dig their hands in their pockets to bail out the Rebels, I think, um, last time. Was it something like three million bucks so far? Um it's and and I so it sounds to me I mean like it's not like anyone's doing well, um, but it sounds like you know I think they might be slightly closer to the basket case um, than the force who I think over time at least have proven that they can run it mm. okay not at a profit but not as at a gaping loss so yeah I mean 
anyone who's got the view behind those balance sheets would have a much better idea of what that's going to look like. And, you know, I don't know how else you're going to judge it. Then at the end of the day, it's all a furphy about talent because it's just, you know, it's kind of basically the overflow from uh, New South Wales and Queensland that just kind of gets smushed around and it would just get smushed around wherever else. Um, I think it's hard to, I mean, look, I realise it's grown some talent in both those markets, but not to a place where I think it's clear that cutting the super team would make a massive difference to the, to, you know, to, to, to Australian rugby. So I don't know how else you do it other than money, to be honest. I, I can't imagine also it's that, like, doesn't. you know, and I can't imagine that the TV agreements specify like which ones that you kind of keep or not, but yeah, maybe I could be wrong in that as well. Um, so yeah, maybe that's, that'd be something I'd be really interested to, you know, digging into actually, maybe we see if we can get hold of somebody who might have a little bit more information about that. Yeah, that'd be great. It would be, you know, fascinating to get a little bit more depth in, in those sorts of things. And once again, we'll crowdsource that option, won't we, Matt? We'll see if anyone can come to the party for us. Yes. Um, all right, question four, burning question. So the Poms had a massive win on the weekend, probably took a few people by us. And that gave him 18 wins in a row, uh, 18 wins in a row for Eddie Jones as coach, and I think one away from at least a tier one record next week when they take on Ireland. So let's go hypothetical here, guys, and I'll frame it like this. Imagine it wasn't the Lions touring New Zealand this year, it was the Poms. Um, do you reckon the Poms could beat the All Blacks, uh, uh, Hugh? No, I don't think they could. I think the All Blacks would win. I think, we've, we've as we've seen in the past... When, when the All Blacks fear someone's, someone's coming up in their rear vision mirror and coming up to challenge their supremacy, they smack them down. And um, I'd really like to see that. And, and I, I feel like the, uh, the powers that be in world rugby really make, need to make that happen and step up and schedule it at some point. I don't, give, I don't care if it's a Wednesday or a, they mm. boot off. You know, I'd be happy for them to probably take away the Eden Park Blooders line. You know, yeah, I'm, exactly. I'm happy for England, England to play in our place at that particular <laughs> fixture. Um, as but, long as it uh, counts for the blood Oh yeah, yeah. Happy, happy for that to happen. We can, we can nominate a uh, a, a surrogate to stand yes. in for us. Um, but yeah, look, I, I think the All Blacks have still, you know, got class across the field, and we'll probably be able to beat them. Um, you know, in England, in Dubai, in wherever they would play on neutral ground. Um, but God, I mean, England. You've got to say, eighteen matches. That is a phenomenal record, and I'd like to see. What Australia's top, you know, what what our best performance is, but the, um, yeah, that England team, you tip your hat to them. I mean, we've we've had to do that multiple times uh, throughout the course of the last year or so, and I think we'll have to do it again because 18 games, even in the course of a Six Nations, it's very competitive, as we saw in the, uh, you know, the November internationals. That the quality of footy up there is is really good at the moment. So. Um, yeah, to get through unscathed so far is, is and sets up a pretty epic game with Ireland this week. Yeah, Matt, what, are you so sure? Do you think the All Blacks all over, or do you, have you uh, have you drunk from the chalice of English rugby? Yeah. <laughs> um, look, yeah, I I actually think look, it, it's you can't really say out of like who would win one game, right? So I don't know if it yeah. was, if it was a three test series or if it was a ten test series right now with the with the uh, capability that that they've got. I think you've got you know I think that's the sort of thing you've got to say. And look, I think if they were to play sort of ten games, I reckon the Poms could maybe walk you know can you know um, over you know over the next couple of months. Um, a they'd be two very tired teams, but I think you know probably the Poms could pull out three or four wins there. Um, sort of thing, um, which I think would be 
against, you know, when you look at the All Blacks sort of record over recent years, I think would be pretty decent. Um, yeah, but I, and I think obviously the thing about the All Blacks is they've just got so many different ways of playing, haven't they? Whereas I think this Pommy team, um, you know, unless they've got one real way of uh, grinding out, you know, like a, a, a pressured win. Um, and then, you know, when the, when the shackles come off, then they can show a little bit more. Um, whereas the All Blacks, I think, you know, obviously can, I think they can mix it up a little bit more. They've got a few different gears they can go through. Uh, so which kind of makes you feel that they could, you know, they would deservedly be favourites. But, um, yeah, I think this is one of the better Pommy teams, especially at Twickenham. I think, you know, with the, with the, with the crowd behind them. And you've got to remember, I mean, the Lancaster team beat the All Blacks only a few years ago. Was it, is it 2013? Um, so, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and that was no, nowhere near as well a performing team as this one at the moment. Um, yeah, I, look, hard to doubt, what, that, 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 hard to take away from this team that they couldn't do just about anything, I think, at the moment. Yeah, look, I reckon they do them. I reckon, they, I reckon the forward pack is the difference at the moment. Maybe the front row needs some work, but I don't think that's a particular, other than Dan Coles, is a strong point for the for the Kiwis. But I just think that forward pack, Courtney Laws and uh, Atoji on the side, obviously, and, and whether it's Launchbury or, or um, the other guys, Haskell, Nathan Hughes, the True. number eight, is playing so damn well. I, th- yeah. I just think that pack is working so well. Um, you know, and I don't think we'll ever have the same regard for Owen Farrell as, as the English do. Um, but he's a pretty cut key part of that team. And, you know, I think just the way that... I'd, you're right, Hugh. I mean, guys, if this was any other sport in the world, there'd be promoters all over the world paying big money to play this in Hong Kong or Tokyo or something like that and just get it on. I mean, yeah. it'd be just awesome. And, and I think the whole rugby world would, would want to see it. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think you're right there, though, Reg, when you talk about, you know, the strengths that the Poms have got there. I mean, how do you beat the All Blacks? You always beat the All Blacks by beating them up, right? Yeah, exactly. You, you've got to take them on up front. And that's – just look at that England pack, both <laughs> in the run-on pack and then in their reserve pack. It's a, it's just monstrous. Um, yeah. It's, it's, I don't, it's not particularly silky or, you know um, – What's the word I'm looking for? You know, it's it, you know, it's sophisticated, so to speak, but no. that's not what you're looking for, right? And then you've got a Wilkinson-like metronome just to knock over, yeah. which the All Blacks hate because you know they're just yep. going to leak penalties. And if you just keep, you know, you know, knock that up and they're nine points down in between tries, um, you know, that's what they hate more than anything else. So I, I think you're right. I think that this Pommy team's got a lot going for it and quite clearly Hugh Cavill just hasn't watched enough rugby recently. <laughs> Oh, says like the man who party. sleeps through his Waratahs. Jeez, what? So you're so you're telling me you slept through the Waratahs, but you've been getting up early to watch the Six Nations. That's that was sort of the biggest lie that's ever been told on this podcast. That's why I've had to. That's why I've had to sleep through the Tars, yeah, because I've been watching avidly <laughs> Six Nations and a Viva Prem, a Premiership. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, quality stuff. Um. All right, guys, let's move on. Here's an interesting one for you. So this is a bit odd. So I saw the other day that, the, you know, the, the bidding process for the Rugby World Cup's heading up. I think we'll know November this year. So a little while in South Africa, Ireland and France. A couple of teams have pulled out. But you look at the trend of major events these days. The Olympic Games used to be one of the hottest tickets in town. But now potential host cities are dropping out all over the place. Too big, too expensive, not the value. The Commonwealth Games just overnight saw Durban, who had actually been appointed as host for 222, 
Commonwealth Games has uh, has has pulled out as well. So <laughs> they 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 can't host that event anymore. I guess the, there's a fear. There's got to be a risk factor around these big events. They're getting bigger and bigger. Do you reckon the Rugby World Cup's under a threat, or is it we've still got a bit of uh, still a bit of, a bit of gloss around it? Hugh, you're our major events man. What what do you think? There's still appeal to this one. Oh look, there there is, and the reason I suppose it, it is a bit more palatable for for um, for nations um, is that a you know a countries can host it um, and not just cities, which I think is is um, something that is becoming a bit of a uh, it's something that I think we'll see the uh, Olympics and Commonwealth Games move into, where broadly allowing countries to host um, across the board as opposed to just lumping it all on one particular city. Um, and secondly is because of, we're hosting them in rugby nations, um, the infrastructure already exists. You know, they're, they're not having to build all these stadiums, and that's what we're finding to be, again, the sticking point of having to try and build a golf course in Rio de Janeiro or, you know, a, a swimming, a, a diving pool and a yeah, warm-up exactly, pool yeah, and a velodrome yeah. and all this stuff that is that, that uh, these cities don't have cause to really use. Um, whereas a footy, a footy ground in, in Ireland or in you know, Australia or in South Africa or even in Japan, yeah, you're always going to get use out of that. And, and so, uh, look, I think I think it actually might become a more attractive proposition, to be honest, Reg. It might actually help us because um, these events have, have got pretty uh, pretty solid um, appeal across the board. And as they become more and more competitive, um, as we've seen in well, as we saw a few years ago, um, that that it's it's only going to increase in popularity. I think where the Olympics, I think you're seeing a lot of these sports declining every year in relevance and them having to throw in skateboarding and surfing and, and these sort of sports to, to try and um, add a bit more appeal in and, and, you, and you think it might be getting away from, from what makes it great in the first place. Whereas the Rugby World Cup, you know, we're not, and we're not going to go the way of FIFA and putting in 48 teams mm. Mm. Um, and that sort of thing. I, I think it's, we might be the, the most solid product in, uh, in global sport at the moment, the Rugby World Cup. I think that's a really good call. I mean, FIFA do seem to be getting a bit greedy with the number of teams involved. Obviously, they've got a few more teams to choose from. But your point about, um, you know, the, the status of the event, and the Olympics, however great it still is. But a lot of, you know, the golf, the tennis, it's, it's no longer the elite. You know, it's not the elite of that competition, of that sport. Um, and, and I think that's what opens the, the world up for Rugby World Cup. And, you know, the Poms did a great job at the last one, and, and there's every reason to think that Tokyo will be fantastic in a couple of years' time, or at least Japan. Um, and what comes with it, there, there does seem that very, um, I guess, attractive market appeal for, for the, the rugby tourist into these countries and the willingness to, to spend a bit of bucks and... and um, and support the game and support the country that hosts. My fear, it doesn't outprice itself. I mean, you hear some of the stories about some of the, the ticket prices for uh, Japan are, are pretty scary. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's still got to be... That was a great success of 2003, wasn't it? You know, it was affordable, it was accessible. Um, and I think that's still a really important part for these types of sporting events, acknowledging they've got to make money. Matt, have you got a particular opinion at all? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, money talks, doesn't it? And um, yeah. where the RFU, um, you know, they doubled their revenues um, in the World Cup year um, to £407 million. Pounds, um, Incredible. Which is pretty mind-blowing. Um, and that the, the money that they could invest into rugby uh, on that in that year were £102 million, pounds, um, which was an increase of almost 40% in the year. So I guess anyone looks at that, anything is like, you know, that 
English market or sort of, should we say sort of, you know, British market for rugby or even just in Europe really is, you know, where it's all at. Um, mm. There's so much cash and it's such a strong currency. You, you do wonder whether you'd see the same sort of thing um, outside of that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for, for now, though, um, it would. But I know I hear exactly what you say, though, about um, everyone's, it's all starting to get a little bit outpriced. Mm. And I think whether it's the uh, World Rugby or whether it's the Olympic committees and everything else, that suddenly become more and more demanding and it's just not so easy to throw one of these things on anymore, is it? Yeah, brand protection. There's all, as you would know, there's all these extra levels of demands. It's not just about providing facilities anymore. It's assurances and security and, and transport and all these sort of things. It's a, it's a massive exercise. So I guess at the very start, it's uh, if you know, for all the providing is you know, half a dozen rugby fields, it might be a little bit easier to, to make that sustainable. Mm. Um, look, that wraps us up, guys. Let's let's quickly go through the games for this round, at least with the Aussie teams, um, noting some of those other crackers, you know, Crusaders Blues to kick off the weekend will be fantastic. Uh, have I got the right... Oh, OK, how's about this? The Rebels have had their bye. They've now got to host the Chiefs this weekend. <laughs> Has there been some magic weave down there, Matt? Do you give them any hope with that one? Oh, man. Or more blood to come. It's scary, isn't it? Yeah. It's scary because I don't think they're getting any big names back. Maybe Sefane of Ali, but you know he's going to not do the tackling for the team. Unfortunately, well, uh, that could be that could be another scary one for them. Uh, Hugh, have you, do you see it any other way? I well, look, I, I think they say you learn a lot from defeat. So the Rebels will be the smartest people in the competition. <laughs> I think uh, at this point in time, uh, whether that'll help them or not, I'm, I'm not sure, Reg. And, and to answer your other question, I know you, you I, I cut you off there. I know you were going to ask. Um, Am I still on top of the green and gold rugby tipping comp? And 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 um, good, I have held my spot there. So um, that's that's still great. still number great. one in the in the tipping. Everyone will be. Yeah. I know. I get, I'm getting inundated with requests. So death with death riding. To... Death riding Aussie teams, mate. You should be ashamed. Of <laughs> <laughs> you know what's wrong? We still have our integrity, Hugh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, all right. We'll, we'll tip this one for us, mate. Waratahs versus Brumbies at Allianz. The Waratahs, uh, look, this is actually a very, very tough game to tip. It is. The Brumbies um, have won, I'd suggest, the last three or four straight games against the Waratahs. Certainly beat them both times last year and beat them quite convincingly at uh, Allianz Stadium. um, I'm going to tip the... Ooh, I don't know. I'm going to say the Brumbies. Bernard Foley looks like he's not training and he's not going to be back. Will Skelton's probably not going to be back. Coming back from a uh, from an overseas trip that uh, has bruised them up pretty badly, and the Brumbies um, might, might be coming with a bit of momentum from their game against the Western Force. So, look, I think this would be a very very close close encounter. And actually, you know what, Reg, I'm going to go all out. I'm going to tip the draw. And if that comes oh. off, then I think I'll retire <laughs> from this podcast and I'll retire from tipping altogether. I'll just drop yeah, the mic. I'll just take yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's great. That okay, game, Matt. What about you? Do you... You're going to watch this game for starters? You're going to get up for this one at a, you know, a late 7.45 kickoff? <laughs> well, look, um, what, I, what I'd like to say is that Hugh obviously didn't watch the last couple of Waratahs games closely enough because um, I think all the hints were in there um, as to what this result is going to be. Um, I'd, I'd like to say that, but I can't. I think the, um, the, 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 the Brumbies... Uh, I, yeah, I think all these stats are... Well, all the indications are that the Brumbies has got the most together team here um, so far. Um, and I think with no Bernard Foley, we're, the Tars are in big trouble. Um, so, yeah, and I, you know, the Brumbies love coming to Sydney. Um, so, yeah, I think 
I'd, if I had to, I'd, I'd, yeah, I'd tip the Brumbies. Yeah, I think I'll be doing the Brumbies too. That's a that's a big game for them. Um, and then later that night, the Lions uh, host the Reds. So, oh God, tough gig this one. This is a pretty tough tour for the Reds, for the Reds, the Lions, and then the Jaguars. So, talk of the Reds, I might rest Steve Moore at least to the bench, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if George Smith joins them. But um, uh, give us any hope over there, Matt, at all? No. No, Hugh. Um, I'll give them a little bit of a hope. I, I think the Lions against the Jaguares um, yeah, got pretty well shown up, I think. And, and I don't know. Look, I, I'll tip the Lions, obviously, but um, look, the Reds, the Reds are in South Africa, and they never have been. And I, I seem to recall, Richard, they almost won a game last year. They might have even pinched one, um, in which Liam Gill kicked a drop goal from about 50 metres. Uh, but, um, yeah, no, we didn't win. It, we came close, but we didn't win. Yeah, game. it was it was close, though. So, look, I, I don't think the Reds are as hopeless as some might say. But um, that said, I, I won't tip them. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that close game last year was a 41-22 to 22 loss to the Bulls. Um, and then uh, they lost the following week, versus the Storm was 40-22. to 22. So, yes, they don't do too badly, do they? So, I... Well, I that's a weird tough kick. If they scored three or four more tries in both yes, those games, exactly. yeah, they'd they, they really stand a chance of winning. <laughs> no, this will be a tough gig. I think the Kings, uh, the the Lions will get this. They rested a few players last week, versus the Jaguars, or a few players weren't available that I suspect will be back this week. So um, this, tough gig for the Reds. This podcast has been a stitch up. We've got facts, <laughs> we've got stats, mm. we've got you know all this sort of empirical data to the table. I'm not a fan of it. I'm <laughs> very not unfair. <laughs> <Very laughs> <unfair laughs> like. All right, guys, we're going to wrap it up there. Uh, big show. Thanks for participating. Thanks again, Matt and Hugh. No, mate, it's uh, yeah, my pleasure. And can I just say, just very quickly, we've got actually a couple of reviews here um, from Mitchie1314, I think in the UK. He said uh, he's called it the best rugby pod, great band. Um, and then nice. and said, look, we'll take that one. Um, but then this one, which is sit closer to the mic um, from the oh. US. Or get a better microphone. Jesus Christ, it's at full volume and I can only hear two out of three of you. Sometimes. Otherwise, great show. So I think that one's well, a bit of a the, card. As long as the two are me and Reg, then I think you're okay, <laughs> to be honest. So I'm, I'm saying that's the report card, uh, whereas the other one was clearly about our podcast. Uh, but thanks for the comments, guys. Yeah, thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening uh, once again to our Eon Sports uh, radio listeners, but also those via the podcast as well. Uh, get out there, enjoy the rugby. Queensland Premier Rugby starts this weekend, I know that. So plenty of stuff to be watched. Um, and we will catch you all next week. Uh, uh, yeah.